Good evening. Goodbye forever by Nat Chung Chapter 8, Part 1. From that point, I started having dreams again. The vividness returned, and with it a sexual dimension that had not previously existed. The sexuality was not connected with Carla, but with two girls who may have been her daughters. At first I thought I was dreaming of Amelie, but she was pale blonde, almost white, and the girls were so dark-haired that their tresses could have been black. Chapter 8. The Five Precepts. February 1968. Your parents will kill you if they ever find out about Amelie, especially your father, Steve remarked with a curious mixture of grave concern and undisguised glee. Don't think I can be killed much more than death, Steve. Very funny, Vic, but you know what I mean. They'd go crazy and you'd never hear the end of it. They'd never let you go out anywhere ever again. In that case, Steve, I sighed, they'd better not find out. I mean, what would you do? Would you have bailed out just because your parents would go spare if they found out? I don't know. I really don't know. But I suppose I am as envious as hell. And I suppose... I have to say that, yeah, all right, I'd probably do the same. Amelie is fierce. I mean, really fierce. Yes. You see, I didn't exactly plan to have a relationship with a 22-year-old au pair girl, did I? No, but you made a very good job of it as an accident, nonetheless, Steve laughed. Anyway, Steve, look at it this way. Number one, there's no telephone at home. Number two, my parents are hardly going to walk down the road to the public call box just to chat with me at your house, are they? Number three, they don't even know your telephone number. Number four, well, maybe three is enough. They have my address, though. Yes, I groaned with slight impatience. So my father's going to drive out here just to check that I'm not homesick or whatever. I really don't think so. I've been coming to stay at your house since I was eight years old and I haven't died of anything yet. Nothing's blown up or got flooded or whatever. So as far as they're concerned, there's nothing to worry about. Which your father's a police inspector. So, as far as my father's concerned, this is the next best place for me outside prison. Like a maximum security prison or something. All right, all right, you've got me convinced. It's just, what would happen if they did find out? I mean, with my parents. 
far as I'm concerned, Steve, when I leave here, you think I'm going home. I never told you anything. You know nothing. Mm. I'm not trying to get out of it or anything, but I don't feel too good about lying to my parents. No, I can see that. I liked your parents, as you know, but you did winkle it out of me, didn't you? I did say that it was better that you didn't know where I went, didn't I? Yeah, you did. Yeah, and I know it's not your fault. I did keep on at you till you told me. Think of it like this, Steve. You're not lying in the usual way. You're not lying to stop your parents finding out what you've done. You're not lying to stop your parents finding out that you're doing something they wouldn't want you to do. You're not making up stories. You're just failing to tell them that I'm not actually going home when I leave here. Yes, well, that does make it sound better than lying. And anyway, Steve, this has been going on since February 1966, and you've known since March last year. And Annalie's going home to Switzerland for good in April. That's a month away, so it's a bit late to start feeling anxious about it, or start worrying about being dishonest. The time for that was a year ago. You're right, of course. I think I just got into some sort of panic about it when my father asked if you had a girlfriend. You know, when I got keen on Susan French and it didn't work out. He was suggesting I talk to you about it and that's when it came up as to whether you had a girlfriend. Ah, right, I see. I can see how that would have been tricky. So you said no? Yes. I mean, yes, I said no. Well, you were more or less honest then. Because although a 22-year-old might just about be called a girl, a 24-year-old is definitely a woman. Jesus, Dick, you're a total maniac, Steve laughed. But I suppose you're theoretically correct. It's more a question of the fact that I thought I was lying. Whether I was lying because Annalie counts as a girl or as a woman is just splitting hairs. Yes, can't deny it, Steve. All I can do is try to make you feel better about it. I could just stop coming round here on weekends if that would make it all easier. No, that wouldn't work either, because my parents would wonder why. And anyhow, that wouldn't be good, would it? We've got all this music to work on, plans for our blues band. I know that, Steve. I wouldn't want to miss our music time. You're my best friend in any case, so it would be a bad idea altogether. Yeah, it would, Steve shook his head. There are no other dark secrets, are there? Well, 
There was one thing I did when I was 12 that would probably make your hair stand on end. I told Steve about my naked jaunt at the Runfold Crossroads the week Papa left me, and he laughed till he had tears in his eyes. I was glad of that because it seemed to make him feel much better about my tryst with Amelie. I told him that I'd told Amelie about it too and that it had made her laugh as well. Well, Steve, if you can get away with that, you can probably get away with anything. However, there's been something that I've been meaning to ask you. How does not telling the truth fit with Buddhist ethics? I mean, isn't it one of the Buddhist commandments or rules or what are they called? Precepts. Yes, it's one of the five precepts. And they're things you take like vows? Yes. So what are they? I mean, can you tell me what the five are? No killing or murdering, no theft or taking what's not freely given, no sexual misconduct, no dishonesty, and not getting drunk. So, Steve began, but went on saying, so not being dishonest. Yes, I don't exactly feel good. I'd rather be open and honest about everything, but I'm in a situation where my life isn't my own. My parents rule the house. They rule my life to a large extent. Now, I didn't ever agree to that. It wasn't my idea. I didn't ask them to be my parents. Well, not consciously. So, I find myself here with them, or more particularly with my father, because he's the one who makes all the rules. As you know, my mother's fine and massively more easygoing. Are you with me so far? Yes, but truth is still truth. Yes, I'm not trying to tell you I'm not lying, even though I'm mainly lying by omission. That's not quite the point I'm trying to make. So let's hear the point then. Not that I'm trying to criticise you or anything. I just want to know how you see it. Well, well, I think that I'm going to have to use an extreme example to show you how I see things. Say if you lived in Nazi Germany, and say you were sheltering a Jewish family who were trying to escape from Germany. Then say that the Gestapo or SS knock on your door and say, we're looking for a Jewish family who are trying to escape to England. Have you any information that would lead to their capture? What do you answer? Do you say, yes, officers, they are upstairs hiding in our attic. Or do you lie? Right, well, of course, I'd lie. But that is an extreme example. Yes, I did say it would be an extreme example. 
But the point is that truthfulness isn't an ultimate stance. Once there is an exception, the law or rule or ethic has to be seen as flexible. I thought it would be exception that proved the rule. Here, for once, Steve, I laughed, I may know something about language that you don't know. The word prove in this saying means test, as in gun proofing or the alcohol proofing. So this saying is misunderstood. It really means it's the exception that tests the rule. Right, that makes far more sense. I wonder why I've never thought of that. It's obvious now you explain it. So, anyhow, once there's an exception, you have to ask what other exceptions there could be. So, for me, being truthful with my parents would impinge on my freedom. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm not doing anyone any harm. I never consented to obey my parents, and I don't agree with how they see the world, particularly my father. He's in favour of the death penalty, and he hanged homosexuals on principle. See your point, Steve Brown. So they do have power over me without being entirely right-minded. My father would be in favour of putting people in the stocks. He's a strong supporter of hanging and flogging. So the thing about lying, as far as I see it, is that if you aren't lying to get an unfair advantage or to hurt someone, it's not the same as if you were. It's still not good to be devious, but when it's a matter of freedom, I'm choosing personal freedom over unnecessary honesty. Right, I sort of see that. Or at least I can see that honesty isn't a simple matter. That's how I see it. And in terms of Buddhism, there are no absolutes in terms of ethics. What is more important than what you do is why you do it. Buddhism is more concerned with motivation. So, I don't have any harmful motivation in what I'm doing. I'm not hurting anyone. I'm not depriving anyone of anything. That's it. I'm sorry I have to do it. I'd rather be honest. But who would it help if I were honest? Who would it harm? Being secretive or merely withholding information is not breaking the precept if no one is hurt and no one loses anything. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I'm just glad that I can be open with my friends. So, don't take this the wrong way, Steve, but do you tell your parents every time you have an erotic dream? Oh, Steve shook his head. It looks as if my idea that I'm open with my parents has just been shot down in flames. Sorry, 
That wasn't my intention, Steve. I just wanted to explain my situation and explain that I really do take the five precepts seriously while living as I live with what's important to me. 